Oh, good evening, everyone. You've risked the chilly air to come back out, and we're sure glad to see you. It's a blessing to be together. The Bible is many things. One thing it is, is a book of stories. Wonderful stories, moving stories, entertaining stories, sure, but informative stories, the Word of God. Some of the stories are very well known the world over by believers and non-believers. Some of the stories are not so well known. This evening we're going to look at a story that's not so well known. It's the story of a man of God, and it can be found in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. So if you turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, that's Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you're in Chronicles, flip back over to the left. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 13 and read about the man of God. Now before we read, a little background on this story because it always helps to know the setting of the story. The setting here is that God has brought his people out of Egypt to the promised land. He has brought his chosen people, the nation of Israel, out of their slavery in Egypt. And he has fulfilled his promise and brought them into the land he promised them, of course, the promised land. In the promised land, a king, King Solomon, the son of King David, built the temple to the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. And King Solomon is probably the most famous of all the kings of Israel. He is famous for his wisdom and his wealth. And you could say that Israelites enjoyed the height of, of culture and, and success under King Solomon's reign. They were very blessed. It was the honeymoon phase, if you will, with God. At this temple was where worship was to, to take place where the offerings were to be, to be sacrificed, to be given, and no other place. And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, was to be the priesthood and to offer these sacrifices. Well, King Solomon had a son. And unlike Solomon, he was very foolish. And in his foolishness, he divided the kingdom, the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel split into two parts, Israel and one of the tribes, Judah, along with uh, the tribe of Benjamin, split off. So Israel became Israel and Judah. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was the king of Judah. But Israel had a new king. His name was Jeroboam, and he was a bad king. He wasn't just a little bad, he was very bad. And what he did, because he wanted to stay in power, was that he built places to worship, shrines, altars, all over the country. And he appointed people to be priests who were not of the tribe of Levi, in contradiction with God's word. And so a man of God visits Jeroboam, the bad king, as he is in his temple making an offering to God. We take that up in 1 Kings chapter 13 in verse 1, where we read, By the word of the Lord. And I'm going to stop right there and point out, this is a very important phrase. It occurs numerous times in the story, 
So when it occurs, I'm going to stop and point out to you the number of times it does occur. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam, the bad king, was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar, by the word of the Lord, second time, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. Think of that statement. He's saying, you're not going to offer animal sacrifices on this altar. You're going to offer the priests who are making the offerings in contradiction and violation of God's word. What a powerful statement this man of God is making. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it, that is from the burnt offerings, will be poured out. So this structure is going to split. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. So imagine this sight. His hand shrivels up and he can't move it. He cannot pull it back. Also, also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Third time. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. Now stop and think about this for a moment. The king has just said seize him, as in arrest him so I can mistreat him and abuse him. And now he says, oh, pray for me. Pray for me. Okay? Now, is that easy to do? No. But as someone who is, is obeying the Lord... What does he do for his enemy? He prays for him. It says, so the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half your possessions, remember he's talking to the king, so that's no little bit of possessions, that's a lot of possessions. Half of your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord fourth time, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So, he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. All well and good. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. After all, this was big news. This was a spectacular event. They also told their father what he had said to the king. Their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree. 
obviously resting in the shade from the sun, the heat of the day, and asked, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord fifth time. You must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. So the man of God is repeating what he told the king. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, sixth time, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. Now what do you think is going to happen? While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. Imagine you're the man of God, how you feel receiving that message. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, I don't know how the rest of that meal went or what the dinner conversation was, but I can imagine it was with a heavy heart. The prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown down on the road with both the donkey, that is the one he was riding on, and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body thrown down there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord has given him over to the lion which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned him. The prophet said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then he went out and found the body thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. Now, if you've ever been to the circus or the zoo and you've noticed the lions there and they're, they're kind of hard to miss, Ringling Brothers and Siegfried and Roy do some spectacular things with lions. They don't do anything like this because lions don't maul a man or an animal and then sit down nice at attention with a donkey next to them, and they just stand in attendance. That just doesn't happen. Not even with Siegfried and Roy. So what we're looking at here is a miracle, something that is undeniably from God, a sign. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. 
Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Oh, my brother. After burying him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. I mean, think of this. This is like we have a visiting preacher, and he dies, and you say, You take my gravesite that I've made the arrangements with the funeral for. Okay? Bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord, and that's the seventh time that phrase is found in this story, against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. And as a footnote, I'll point this out. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. After seeing all this, after seeing miracles, he still doesn't change. If someone says to you, if only I saw a miracle, a real miracle, if only I saw a sign, I would believe. Not necessarily the case. Here you have someone who's seen signs, whose own hand shriveled and was restored. And he still does evil after receiving God's goodness. So, that is the story of the man of God. Now, the real question of this is what all scripture boils down to, really, and what all stories do, is what does this mean to me? Because if you walk out of here without asking yourself something like that, what does this mean to me? Then it's merely entertainment. It's merely watching TV or watching a movie. Hopefully it was done well. But what does this mean to me? And you say, what's this got to do with me? After all, I don't see hands miraculously shrivel or come be restored. The word of God does not come to me directly. It comes to us all in the Bible, to all of mankind. Lions don't maul a man and then stand at attention. What's this got to do with me? These things don't happen today. To understand what this means to us, to you and me, we have to take those parts away from this story and get down, drill down, if you will, to the very heart, the basics, the core of what this story is about. And we're gonna take three very generic, very basic and simple statements from this story. A person heard the word of God for himself. That is the man of God from the story. He took someone else's word for God's word. And the result was that one like a lion killed him. Three very basic and generic statements from this story, undeniable statements. What does this mean to me? Turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Peter. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 5. And here Peter writes, in verse 8 of chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, you disobey God's word. No, you're not going to walk out to your car in the parking lot and a lion has escaped from the zoo or the nearest traveling circus and maul you on your way out to the parking lot. Far worse. For you and me, to everyone, you hear the word of God for yourself and you take anyone's word for it, for God's word, no matter how much you think of them, no matter how much you value them or look up to them or love them, whether it's the pope or your mother or father, as good as they are, the preacher or elders or anyone else, nobody's word replaces God's word because nobody replaces God. And if you take anybody else's word for God's word, a lion, one like a lion, will certainly slay you, but not physically but spiritually, and separate you from your God. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. The lesson of this story and the moral is don't let anybody fool you and you take their word for God's word. You have that. You're blessed to have that in your hand. And so many ways to have a Bible. I have one on my phone now, old fuddy-duddy like me, and it's wonderful. You are blessed to have that to read and know and understand for yourself. Let us not be like the man of God who was fooled by someone else. And to anyone who is not a Christian, I say the same thing. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. In Galatians chapter one, Paul here talks about the, the gospel message, and he says something very important in Galatians one and verse six. He says, I am astonished, he's talking to the Galatians, Christians, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. That's very powerful. He's saying any gospel that's different than the gospel, the one gospel, is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert, that is to misuse, to twist the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. What did the old prophet say? An angel told me to tell you to come to my house and eat and drink. Imagine how you would feel if an angel appeared to you. Wouldn't it be overwhelming? An angel, and it really was an angel. Paul here says, even if an angel tells you a different gospel, let him be condemned. No one's word replaces God's word. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And what is that gospel, that good news? Our last scripture of the evening is Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And this is the conclusion, the finale of the sermon. 
that Peter is giving. The climax, if you will. He says in verse 36, Therefore let all Israel, and that is that applies to everyone, let all, everyone, the whole world, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You can be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The most important question anyone is ever going to ask. Peter replied, repent, that is, change your minds. Change your minds from living life your way to living life God's way. And be baptized, that is, to be immersed in water, dipped. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, not as an outward sign of an inward face, faith, not as an act of obedience, not to please your parents, not to please the church leaders or anyone else, not to become a member of this congregation, but for the forgiveness of your sins, your wrongs, your failures, to be made clean and new and a child of God. To anyone who's not a Christian, I say, we invite you today to become a Christian, not by our word, but by the word of the Lord. And if you're willing, we invite you to come forward now while we stand and sing the invitation song. <laughs>